I have a confession to make. It's confession time right now. I am always hungry. Yeah? Anybody with me? All right. Who's hungry like right now? Like, I, yeah, me. I'm hungry. Um, I'm always hungry, and, and uh, I, was trying to think of, I was trying to think of a time when I was most hungry. And, uh, I, well, I remember my favorite meal of all time. My favorite meal of all time was when I was hiking South Sister with my friend Jeremy Russell in college. And my favorite meal of all time was when we were on the side of the mountain and we stopped for lunch. And all I had was one of those summer sausages and some cheese. That's all I had. It was just summer sausage and cheese. And I just sliced it up and just sitting on a rock, just like, like halfway up South Sister, just taking a little snack break. I remember that's the best meal I've ever had, right? No five-star, four-star restaurants ever compare with that like little meal. It was so special. Um, can you think of the time when you were most hungry? I was trying to think, again, and, and it kind of actually was a little convicting because, because I, I, there haven't been a lot of times in my life where I've been truly, truly hungry. Um, that wasn't my choice. But uh, the time when I was most hungry was the few times in my life where I've tried fasting. Fasting is this really sort of ancient, beautiful uh, discipline that um, where, where you sort of, where you go without food for a season. And there's some really cool things about fasting. Um, and uh, I have a difficult time fasting, um, mostly because I forget that I'm fasting partway through. So I've woken up, you know, it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast, you know, like a one day or like a three day. And then, and then at lunchtime, it just works out this way. At lunchtime, somebody like brings free lunch, you know, or somebody has donuts and, you know, they're passing them around. And I'm like, oh, amazing. And then I'm halfway through a donut and I'm like, oh, crap. I, I, I was, did I just say crap? I'm sorry. I usually don't say crap. I usually don't say that. Um, I'm fasting right now. I shouldn't be doing this. And then I'm like, yeah, but it tastes pretty good. I'll just fast tomorrow, you know, and I just sort of put it off. Um, but it's funny when you fast and you truly are really hungry, um, you start dreaming about food. You know, you just start thinking about food. And that's the thing about sort of being hungry is you don't feel satisfied. You're constantly dreaming about the meal that can come. Um, just things don't sort of feel right, right? There's just something missing when you're hungry. And you know that because you've had that experience. One of the things that we are often taught and told, and if we're not careful, we tend to believe our culture tries to get us to believe these things right here. Our culture tries to get us to believe that contentment, contentment um, can, is only come, can only be found through either quenching appetites, right? Contentment can be found by quenching appetites. If you just quench all those appetites, you will be content. Or our culture tries to tell us that contentment can be found by getting more. If, I just, if you just get more and more and more, then you'll be content, and we're so tempted to believe that, but we also know it's so not true. But let me talk to you about, about the Olive Garden for a second. Let's talk about Olive Garden. Or just, just insert your favorite buffet, okay? But for Olive Garden, for me, whenever I go there, it's the problem are those breadsticks that just keep coming and coming and coming. And so I get so full on the breadsticks that when my food actually comes, then I can only eat part of it, and then I take some home as leftovers, and then I usually take some of the breadsticks home also. And uh, you guys know about those breadsticks. Like once they leave the restaurant, they're a ticking time bomb. Because if you try to like heat them up later, they're like cardboard afterwards. They're like french fries if you try to do that to them, right? But the thing is, is I go home and I'm so full. I'm so full. And you know one of the first things I do when I get home? I open up the fridge. 
I'm like looking in the fridge. And in and, and just a few, sh- in a little bit of time, guess what? I'm hungry again. I'm hungry again. And you've had that experience. These appetites don't get quenched, do they? We constantly have this hunger. And it's not just for food. It's for everything. It's for everything. Think about just a device that you have or, you know, a car that you drive or whatever it is. There's just, there's never quite enough. I remember the moment when I was, when I was a kid. I, I, I can't, I, maybe I was five or six. I'm not sure how old I was. And I remember my dad drove up his white Datsun truck and he comes out and he has this box and he comes in and we open it up, me and my brother, and it's the original NES Nintendo. Just the original Nintendo. You know, the box just opened and we just loved that Nintendo and it was amazing. But then guess what came out just a few years later? The Super Nintendo. And we had to get that Super Nintendo. And then guess what came out after the Super Nintendo? The N64 came out. And we had to get the N64. And where does it end? And where does it stop? And you just insert whatever device that you appreciate. It just never stops. We never get enough. Our, our appetites never, never, get, never get quenched, never get satisfied. We never have enough. And the same is true with power, money, stuff, companionship, sex, friendship, acceptance, The list goes on. They can never fully be finally satisfied in this life. And until you come to grips with that, until you come to grips with that, you will try to take the things in this life that can't satisfy and you will try to grab them and you will try to wring the satisfaction that you're looking for out of them to the extent that you will break them and you will break yourself. And we could all just come up here and tell our stories about how we did that with, with things in our lives. We did that with, with relationships. We did that with substances. We did that with, with any number of things. There are these things that we have desires for. They're good things. But if we don't come to grips with the fact that these things can't fully and finally satisfy me ever, then what I will be tempted to do is take those things and I'll just sort of expect too much out of them and I will end up just feeling more empty and I'll end up feeling more disappointed in whatever that thing was that I thought would do it for me and it just leaves us dry it doesn't leave us content does it it leaves us even more empty inside and uh and so that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is going to draw our attention to today we have come to the end of this sermon series I thought it was going to be like a four or five weeker and now this is week 11 because there's just so much stuff in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and so we're going to let um the author of Ecclesiastes Solomon sort of bring us home here's what you got to know about Solomon he's he's uh he's more wealthy than you'll ever be he's more accomplished than any of us will ever be Solomon was was at the top of his game in his season of life, he had it all. He was at the top of the food chain. And what we're about to hear him say, and you know, if you missed last week, last week's really key because this book of Ecclesiastes is such a, such a strange book that starts out by saying, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And what is this author trying to say? It sounds like such a bleak book, but really just this professor, this really smart professor, Solomon is sort of stepping into the place of a professor and he's sort of pushing us. He's sort of goading us. He's sort of, he's sort of uh, asking us, okay, say that, all, say that it's true that everything in this life is just under the sun. Where then do we find meaning and contentment? Tell me, the author says, the professor says. And so last week we sort of talked about that. But let's listen to, 
Solomon right here. He's about to tell us about some of his accomplishments. And what he has to say is so important for us. And how we'll end, we're going to respond just as we end this sermon series. And as we just sort of hear what, hear what the professor has to say to us. We're just going to end with, with a time of worship at the end of service today. Where we can just sort of respond. And just see what the Lord would, have, uh, would, would, would want to do with us this morning. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Starting in verse 4. Here's what he says. He says, oh, I did great things. I built houses, planted vineyards, designed gardens and parks, and planted a variety of fruit trees in them. I made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. Translation, I had a huge house on Cape Cod. I had a summer house too. I had incredible landscaping. I even had some really sick water features. I mean, I had three pools. I had an infinity pool that went down into a normal pool. Listen, I've got it all. And then he goes on. He goes, I bought servants, male and female, who had children, giving me even more servants. Translation, translation, he says, I had landscapers, I had a butler, a footman. I was like Lord Grantham from Downton Abbey, right? I just had it all. I just had the whole entourage. He goes on. He says, then I acquired large herds. And flocks larger than any before me in Jerusalem. Translation, I had a BMW. I had a Land Cruiser. I just had, I had all that stuff. I had so many different cars and vehicles. And then he goes on. I piled up silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. Translation, I had tons of cash on hand. I was like, I was like Scrooge McDuck in his, with his money bin, right? I would just swim in it. I had so much he goes on, he says, I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with song. Translation, I hired Justin Timberlake to serenade me every night before I went to bed. He would just be at my house every night and just sing me to sleep. And then he goes on, and most exquisite of all pleasures, voluptuous maidens from my bed. Translation, I don't know, we're just going <laughs> to skip that, all right? I have nothing. I have nothing. Uh, they were, they were really messed up back then too, okay? Um, and, then, and then he goes on, and then he goes on. He says, I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. Because I've got who's-its and what's-its galore. You want thingamabobs? He says, I've got 20. But who cares? No big deal. I See, you know it. You know it. See, you didn't know that that was in the Bible, but it really, I'm just kidding. It's not in there. But what he has to say next is exactly what Ariel would, would say, all right? What Ariel did say. He goes on. This is, this, this is for real, the Bible, right here, okay? He says this. He says, oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind, left them behind in the dust. What's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held, held back nothing. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task. My reward to myself for a hard day's work. Then I took a look, or then I took a good look at everything I'd done, and I looked at all the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it. Nothing. Nothing. By the way, um, does anybody here have like a book of matches on them? Because I need it for a sermon illustration. I meant to bring one. I figure somebody in like a purse or something has a book of message. While I, while I keep talking, somebody bring it to me, okay? All right. So here's what, here's, what, uh, here's what Solomon says. He says, I had 
everything. I had everything and still I was disappointed. He, he said yes to everything in his life, but still it didn't bring him, it didn't bring him any joy. It didn't bring him any joy at all. And he thought it would fill the appetites in him, but it didn't. But it didn't. And a bunch of times in the book of Ecclesiastes, the author uses this word meaningless. Every, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And the word meaningless is this word havel. Havel. You got one? Bring it to me. Thank you. Perfect timing, by the way. That was just like so nice. I thought earlier this morning, I was like, okay, I need to sort of uh, demonstrate this. And uh, because the word havel, the word havel is, is this word that means vapor. It's vapor. It's smoke. And sometimes in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's translated as vapor. And other times it's translated as, as meaningless. Um, I thought about having somebody who vapes just come up and demonstrate for us t- today. But then I was like, then I was like, ah, they probably won't appreciate that. So this is the best we got. This is the best we got today. But the author of Ecclesiastes says, look, I had it all. I had it all. More than any of us. I said yes to everything. I said no to nothing. And at the end of the day, I discovered that it was just this. And I had it and then whew, it's gone. It's gone. It didn't do what I thought it was going to do. Um, none of this is new for any of you, right? I'm not telling you anything new. You know, you know that this, you know, the stuff we work hard for today, um, the money that we try to produce, the achievement that we try to produce, it's, we know that, you know, in the end, you know, what, what's it all for? What's it about? And, um, the, book, the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he says, listen, it's, it's vapor. It's vapor. What does he mean by that? <clears throat> the word vapor is trying to describe something that we all experience. At every turn, we're disappointed with things in this life. At every point, we don't get the bodies that we want. And even if you do get the body that you want, guess what? You don't keep the, the body that you want for very long, right? Because we're going to get old. We, none of us get the bodies that we want. We don't get the justice that we want. We don't get the satisfaction that we want. We wish our relationships would satisfy us in deep, deep ways, but we find ourselves disappointed often with even just the best of relationships. We find ourselves in this life just very sort of disappointed. What is the deal with that? Another great illustration is, is the idea of time. Why is it that human beings are so sort of frustrated with this idea of time? A lot of philosophers for a lot of time have asked this question. If, if we were sort of made in this world and time is the context in which we were made, then time shouldn't be a big deal to us. But yet, from the very beginning, humans have sort of really wrestled with this idea of being trapped in time. And we're always surprised that time goes so quickly. We always say, where did the time go? Um, man, you grew up so quick, and it's there, and it's gone. And, you know, we're just always so surprised by time. And so many philosophers have, have noted that maybe the reason why we have trouble with the idea of time is because we were sort of made outside of time, that we were sort of made to be timeless, that there's something in us that longs and knows that we were destined for something outside of, of, of time, but yet we find ourselves trapped in it. And interestingly, the book of Ecclesiastes says the same thing. In chapter 3, here's what, here's what Solomon says. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set, listen, eternity into the, into the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That he set eternity in our hearts. 
Now, here's the question. Why did God make the world like this? Why did God make the world so disappointing? Why did God make the world just so so that these things that we fill ourselves with, these desires that he gave us, these good desires for food and for relationship and for sex and for, and for, for joy, that why he created all these good things, but yet why did he create a world where we're constantly disappointed with them? Why would he do that? There's a really good reason why. There's such a good reason why. Here's what I want you to hear from me this morning. God in his wisdom made the world like it is. God in his wisdom made the world so that it's somewhat disappointing because he wants us, he wants us to live with a divine sense of discontentment. That there is something powerful and beautiful about living with a divine sense of discontentment. That we walk around and we feel like this world isn't quite enough. That this thing won't satisfy me fully like I believe that it will. How come? And God says, aha, I have created the world like this so that, so that you will have a true hunger for your true home. I'm going to create the world like this. Yes, it's disappointing. Yes, you, we don't get the body we want. Yes, we don't get the, we don't get, every, we don't, everything doesn't satisfy us like Beyonce promises that it will. But he says, I made the world like that because I want you, I don't want you to get tricked. Listen, God says, I don't want you to experience heaven on earth by you getting everything that you ask for. Because if you get sort of heaven on earth, then you won't long, you won't have a longing for your true heaven, for your true home. And you will get satisfied with the things in this life and you will be duped and tricked into believing that this is where it's all at and that under the sun that everything is here and we can just find sort of our best life now. But he says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create this, this sort of space in us and it's, and it's hard, it's hard. There's tragedy, there's loss, there's, there's, there's disappointment, even in the beautiful things in this life, let alone the, the, the horrifying things in this life. But God says, listen, I'm creating this space so that you will have a hunger and a thirst for your true home. How this works in, in my home is, is uh, I've produced children that are just like me. They are always hungry, <laughs> always hungry. And they're just little, right? Like when I have three teenage boys... Look out, right? Pray for me. Because we're just going to be, it's just like our budget's just going to be like shot from just feeding these people. But even at their, their age right now, they're always hungry. Didn't I just feed you, bro? And they're always looking, always rummaging. Get out of the cupboard, you know? That's for later. We have a plan, you know? It's just this constant battle in my house. And they're saying all the time, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And so one of the things that we've taught our kids, and feel free, I've I've shared this before, but I want you to steal it from us. One of the things that we're trying to teach our kids is this really powerful lesson. It has to do with food, but has so much more to do with, with, with everything else in our lives. When our kids say, Dad, I'm hungry, here's what we say. We say, son, it's okay to be hungry. Yeah? In fact, I think, I think there's a slide of that. Why don't we put it up just so you can see it, all right? Okay, guess what? Why don't you just say it with me? It's okay to be hungry. Isn't it okay to be hungry? See, my kids think like, oh, hunger, I have to satisfy it. 
And we will. We're going to give them great food. We feed our kids, okay? So we do. We, we feed them. We feed them great food. But you know what? It's, hey, hey, guess what? It's okay to be hungry. Do you know why it's okay to be hungry? Because hunger points us to what? Food. And we need food. If we, we weren't hungry, then it wouldn't point us to the thing we really need. Do you understand? The whole, the whole idea of an appetite isn't that it's going to get quenched. The idea of an appetite is that it points you to the real thing. It points you to the substance. It points you to the thing you're actually looking for. And therefore, it's okay to be hungry. Hunger points us to food. And so one of the things that God wants us to do is he wants to bring our, bring our attention to the fact that you and I have this disappointment in this life. We have this hunger that just doesn't seem to get quenched by things. And like I said earlier, if you don't understand that, then you will be tempted to take things and just wring stuff out of them that isn't there to get wrung. We do that in our marriages to each other all the time. We, we have this fairy tale view of marriage that if I just get married, I will be fully and finally happy. And then we get married and then we discover that I'm not fully and finally happy, right? And it's frustrating to us and we're disappointed and we point finger and I must have married the wrong. I didn't marry the one. I didn't marry the one because if I would have married the one, if I, if I would have just found that unicorn and married that, then, then I wouldn't be experiencing this disappointment. And we just get tricked and duped. When the truth is, is that marriage is beautiful. But hey, guys, I just talked to the guys in here. Your wives can't fully and finally satisfy you. Quit trying to wring out of them something in them that's not in them to give. They're there to be your helper, but not be your, your source. They're, they're there to be a resource, not a source. We find our source somewhere else. Ladies, your husband can't fully and finally satisfy you. He's there to be a resource, but he can't be your source. And until you kind of sort of get that straightened out, then you're going to put too much pressure on each other. You're going to always be disappointed in each other. And you're going to believe that the grass is greener on the other side. If I would just go here, if I could just be with her or him, and then, you know, then off oh, life will be fine. No, you're going to carry that dis dis disappointment to every place you go. Why? Because it's there for a reason. Is there to point you to something? Single people in the room. I know that there's this thing where you believe, man, if I could just get married, I'll be okay. And the truth is, is listen, that feeling that you feel in your singleness that like things aren't complete. Listen, remember, it's okay to be hungry. Your desire for a spouse is a good thing. But your desire for your spouse is, is ultimately trying to point you for your ultimate desire for the ultimate spouse. For the true king that's going to come and fully and finally satisfy you. You get all that? And we could just insert money and stuff and all, all sorts of desires that we have. They point us to something. So here's a little phrase I want you to remember is our appetites. Our appetites are not the point. They point. You get it? Our appetites, our desires are not the point, but they point. They are there to point us to something. Now, the best person to, to look at for this is we're just going to read some really smart quotes from C.S. Lewis, okay? Because he's just the best and he's the smartest. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. It's so brilliant. Here's what he says. He says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, 
would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take a step or, or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I'm not now speaking of what wouldn't ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. No, I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be, very, uh, may, may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. He says none of it can satisfy. Now, that could cause us to feel really depressed about this life, but really it's liberating. Isn't it liberating to know that it's okay to have this hunger? It's pointing us to something. That's why it's there. Um, Here's the other thing that C.S. Lewis says. He says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for, the, for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, oh, sorry, if, if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasure, pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And if that is so, if that is so, then I must take care. On one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings or these desires that I have. But on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. Um, so what I want to do this morning is I just want the... the the, the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, just to, just to stir our hearts a bit. You're here today, I'm here today, and there's this sort of discontentment in you that we all experience that for some of us, for, probably for all of us, I'll say it this way, for all of us is sort of is driving some behaviors in us that, are, that if we let them go unchecked will we'll destroy us and will destroy the thing these desires that he's put in us. I, don't, I, I can't fill in the blank for you because I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what sort of desires that you're just like wrestling with and pushing up against that aren't being fulfilled and it's maybe causing you to get bitter. Maybe it's causing you to, to, you know, to lash out. Maybe you're angry at God because he's not sort of giving you whatever you expect him to give to you. Or, um, or maybe there's something happening in your body that's really difficult and there's this, you just are living with this constant sense of, of, man, things aren't complete, and why, God, and you know, why is this happening? I don't know. I, I can't fill in the blank for you, but I just know all of us are in this place where we're wrestling with these desires, and our Heavenly Father just sort of wants to lightly and gently come in today, and He wants to say to us, He wants to say, listen, life is hard. There's disappointments. There's things that you wish that you had, but you don't. 
But will you choose, will you choose to let those desires, to let those appetites point you to the one that ultimately will satisfy you? Will you let those desires point you to the thing that you really are searching for? G.K. Chesterton says powerfully, he says, that every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is really searching for God. It's really searching for God. What are you really searching for? You think it's success in your work, but think again. Think again. What are you really searching for? What, where are you trying to find significance there? Uh, what people say about you, it just it's weighs so heavy on you. What, what are you trying to find in that? Are you trying to find your identity in that? Would you, would, you let, would you let God just sort of come in and say, hey, would you let me be the source? Would you let me be the source of that? Would you let me come into that, please? Would you let, that, let me into your life in that area? And would you let me show you that I'm the one that fully and finally satisfies? Would you just let him? Is looking at pornography really like the thing that we're looking for, looking for? Or are we trying to find something there? Well, what are we really looking for there? We're looking for significance. We're looking for belonging. And God says, would you, would you let me be the source for that? Would you quit looking here and looking there and going here and going there? Would you let me be the source? Do you, do you see how this just fits down in every one of us this morning? And so as we worship and as we sing and as we take communion today, I just, I just want us to just let that sort of wrestle, bounce around in us. Do you know how we reverse that thing in us? You know how we let God become the source is we just, we just, we just say, Lord, I want you to be the source. God, I worship you. Would you, would you come? Would you be the source? We, so that's what we do when we worship. We let him be the source. Would you do that this morning? Um, as the band is, is coming up, why don't you guys come up right now? And I know there's like busyness behind me, but I want you to focus on me, okay? Um, this is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, listen to his words. Listen to his words in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He meets us in our hunger and in our appetites. It's okay to be hungry. Let's let it drive us to him. Amen?